Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, the Lord be with you. And also, also with, with you. you. Let, Let us pray. pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for all of those who have helped us along the way in our faith. We give you thanks for modern saints and saints of old. We give you thanks for St. Francis, who has led us to some wonderful places in our lives and our care for soldiers and our care for our animal friends and the environment around us. Bless this conversation as we seek to learn more about him and as we we sort of flush out, well, flush out some of the complications that happen with those who go to war for us and return home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That was not one of my better prayers. Sometimes you just get started and your brain goes and you have no idea where they're going. It is a Friday. But it was from the heart. Oh, Lordy. I'm sorry, Jesus. What do you mean that wasn't a good prayer? What are we doing? Is there a standard? Even the priests end a prayer and go, oh, man. That was bad. That wasn't one of my better ones. Well. Who we have a guest with us? We do have a guest. Who are you? It's terribly exciting. I think a new fa- can we say a new family member though, or do we even talk? We are in the same part of the same Martin's family. at the St. Martin's right? altar. So, as a transitional deacon, uh, hey, hello, everybody. I am uh, Jeremy Mount. I'm a um, army chaplain of 20 plus years, which means I should be closer to retirement than I am, but. Some of us take a long way around and go reserves and National Guard and active duty. But Elisa, my much better half, uh, is here and we have two of our younger children. So we've moved from Washington and we are now stationed at Fort Jackson as an instructor of other chaplains. Woo-hoo! And I am uh, I'm in the midst of transitioning from uh, United Methodist to becoming, uh, again, I was ordained this summer. But um, the hope, uh, if if God so wills, uh, will be to um, be ordained fully as a priest within uh, the Episcopal Church. So at some point in the near future. So that's a little bit about who I am. I have two older kids, though. Uh, if Elisa hears this, she will be upset that I didn't mention all of our four children. Uh, but two of our older ones are in the Air Force serving currently. One in Washington, D.C., and one in Charleston. So, oh, so you're close to one. Close, very close. He may he may come in. So he flies uh, a lot. One of their bigger aircraft, those C-17s that we see sometimes flying over and in the news, uh, carrying all the the heavy weight of uh, of the military might across the globe. So all the cargoes, all the cargoes, indeed. Uh, so yeah. So hopefully we'll get to see them and. And D.C. isn't too far, so it's nice. Well, um, yesterday was St. Francis Day. Um, Tuesday. Tuesday. Right? Tuesday was St. Francis Day. Today is Friday. We normally record on Thursday. Yeah. October 4th. Yes. Was St. Francis Day. Whatever day day is today, I have no idea. 
But normally in the Episcopal Church, it's it's one of the only feasts in our calendar that we, like, everybody pushes forward to the Sunday so that we can all celebrate it. It's It's such a favorite, right? We get to bring our dogs to church and our cats and whatever wild critters, and it's like show and tell with your priest, and we joke about making exorcisms and, you know, all that fun stuff. There's dog treats and there's chaos, and it is a wonderful, joyful part of October every year. But St. Francis was a unique character. Um, he was. He was much more than than the patron saint of animals pictured as, um, you know, the the nice Franciscan monk with a little bird, his finger out right. and a little bird on right. his finger. Or I've, I've seen that, that in our gardens. In, in the, the garden, garden. yes. Yeah, the garden <laughs> statue. Oh, he's the garden. Yeah, so the, the theme of this podcast episode basically is Caitlin has a soapbox about the St. Francis garden statues. Um, as much as I also have one in my yard. Uh, <laughs> I think St. Francis is more than just the patron saint of animals um i think he's got a lot to say to folks who have served in the military um and and a lot to say for folks who have suffered from various kinds of traumas um and he is one of the pa- along with our patron saint saint martin saint francis is one of the patron saints of soldiers mm-hmm. um and that stems from at about 1200 he went off to war yeah um and as far as war goes, it's my understanding he didn't do very well. He was captured and tortured and, and, and held captive for a long time. So, yeah. So he first went off to war in like 1181 or so. No, he was born in 1181. He went off to war in about 1200. Um, he was the son of a wealthy silk merchant. So he was one of those like really entitled kids that just absolutely lived it up. And so he joined the military forces because he was sold on the banners that told him he was going to be, you know, this great, amazing soldier. And and, yeah. yeah. So he goes off and he fights one campaign. um, And when he comes, when he's away at that campaign, he has kind of a God moment. Um, And, and it's documented. And so everybody's thinking like, Oh, Frankie, like, you're going to be okay, kid. Um, But then he comes back and returns, like, right back into really hardcore partying. Um, Comes back and has got, like, a real alcoholism thing going on. And then he goes off to a second campaign um, and, uh, you know, fights in war again. And that's when he's... I heard that stomach. My, funny. I, I might be hungry. I'm <laughs> sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. They so it's in that second military <laughs> campaign that he's captured as a prisoner of war. Okay. Um, and while he's a prisoner, also faces a pretty significant illness uh, while he's there. And when he comes back from that, um, he. He comes back different than what his friends expected him. They expected him to come back and be, like, high-partying Frankie again, and he just wasn't. So he came back, and when his friends were, you know, talking to him, he was, you know, are you going to get married now? Are you going to settle down? Like, what are you going to do? He's like, my bride is poverty. And that's in around the point where he starts spending a lot of, 
like hermitage time in the woods by himself. And he starts bouncing around to some different monasteries. At one point, he steals part of his dad's inventory and sells it so that he can give money to the church. And then the priest won't take it. And he gets very, very hurt about this. Um, But that's in around the time that we start getting some of those stories of Frankie starting to feel a call to God and starting to preach to the birds and some of those fun stories that we like to tell in the tradition of Francis. But um, it it comes out of what I suspect is a post-traumatic response, that he he is changed by the trauma he experiences and the trauma that he participates in. Francis, before he went to war, sort of considered himself and, and, and there was an early word for it but he, he was a troubadour um which we now talk about with music traveling musicians but back then it was these i mean it was these sort of wealthy people who dressed better than everybody else who wore he wore, would would he would be a traveling banner for his father so his father was a silk merchant yep he would wear all the best silks. He the would medieval be, equivalent of the rock star lifestyle. And and so people would have seen him and been like, "Who is that person?" And Frankie, and, what are you wearing? And and so he he was that person, and that and it's uh um he would have been held, and it was not uncommon during this time in twelve hundred when he was captured, he would have been um held by an opposing force in the hopes that their leaders could get some of those silks. I mean, he really would have been held for ransom um, and, and kept for a long time. And so, and Which not when in you the talk best... about trauma, you know, it's not just the trauma of being captured or anything physical that can happen, but the moral injury that comes with, sure. you know, realizing that I'm nothing more than collateral or I'm nothing more than, you know, as I'm valued in the system or whatever it might be. And so, and, I, it's just yeah. an interesting it's story, a, but it, it's it it's is. not uncommon from the stories I think now. And I I, mm-hmm. I have a young person that I've been talking with who's considering enlisting in the army. Um, it's he come he he lives off of Percival Road in one of the trailer parks over there. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes and sees the recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets some good Chick Fil A from him every mm-hmm. once in a while. Get and, some food right into the gate. Yep. They used to come to my high school, and you would get all kinds of good treats if you did pull-ups. Chewies, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I'm all for him bettering his life, but I think that there's... Yeah, there's definitely conversations that need to happen prior to, um, because it is... Yeah, as Caitlin mentioned, with St. Francis, I mean, you don't... If you if you look at the savage, the warfare then that he was exposed to, in addition to being a prisoner of war... I mean, moral injury, what we do know more and more is that anybody that is exposed and moves into war, it fragments your soul. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are, you're never the same. And so I think for, for all of us, for our, our church family and others that, that live in military communities or have retirees and those after 20 plus years, I mean, we've never, we've had the longest war. Uh, on on multiple fronts that, than any any other in the history of this country, and so that's hundreds of thousands of of women and men who uh, raised their hand and went either to Iraq or Afghanistan or the Philippines. I mean, many different places. Um, and what we learned from those in Vietnam too that 
there is this moral injury. No matter what you did, how you did it, um, there's you, you come out of that with a soul that is that is fragmented uh, and tweaked, uh, as as some of the the helpers and providers say. So, um, what does that look like for us as a as a community? How do we continually be there to provide those those opportunities to build relationships and to hear each other's story in the midst of that? And those that fought, and I think for St. Francis, moving out and being away was was so healing um, and in nature and the way God spoke to him there. So um, it is, and we, we sit at a beautiful place at Fort Jackson where uh, many come back to to retire and to kind of process through, oh my gosh, what did I experience? And they've run through all of it without um, having a voice or a priest or um, a sister of faith that comes in and sits, just sits with them to first hear, you know, what they were experienced. And then again, to find them, what we're finding is that the more we're able to put them into other groups that had similar experiences with anybody that went to Iraq and Afghanistan, instantly you find there is that sense of, um, gosh, where were you? How was that? Let's tell our story there. And, yeah. and, and then we begin to it becomes safe groups of people that you can tell that story with. Mm. One of the things that we know about trauma healing is that story integration is one of the key aspects of of healing from trauma, whether it's just post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and yeah, We've learned that, too, because there's I mean, so much shame wrapped in it. So finding is. safe shame people that yeah. you can do that storytelling yeah. with. Well, and I mean, how it wasn't it's just a generation ago where you would ask, like if you asked my grandfather about his experience in World War II, mm-hmm. or my yeah. opa about his experience in Korea and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk about it. No, not at all. Nope. And so that was not a conversation. Yeah. I mean, it, just, it wasn't talked about. And um, there was, I mean, there's some here in Columbia, you have the, the Battle of the Bulge group, and God bless Vern Brantley and all of yeah. those guys that are still around. There were some small groups of people who gathered together to talk. But there was a very silent generation that hmm. yep. said nothing and dealt with those, those that that fragment fragmentation of the soul solo. And I've I've heard from some friends too that right, a lot of those generations came back and built VA halls so that they would have a place hmm. of brotherhood. Yeah. Um. But that the guys who participated in the wars in the last twenty years. They just aren't welcome in those places in the same way or or don't belong in the same way. And so there's there's been that generational struggle um, as a part of being able to find that community as well. Well, I, you know, I'll say if you go to our cathedral and you go to um, some places like Trinity, New Orleans, um, some of our old cathedrals, you will walk into the building and you will see plaques for brothers and sisters who served in the Civil War. You'll see plaques for brothers and sisters who served in World War I, World War II, um, Korea, Vietnam. And you walk a little bit further down the hall and there's no plaque. Mm-hmm. There, there's no plaque for the person who served in the wars in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and Iraq. Interesting. Um, I wonder if that's part of, like, we haven't known what to call them. Maybe, mm. but well, there's a there's a void there, and I think that um, it's like everybody's forgotten. I think the forty five to fifty year old veteran right now has something mm-hmm. to be like, sure. hey, yeah. yeah, I served, and 
the VA is crumbling and the there I go to my church and yeah it's not counted in the same way and it still as a country we're pros right it hasn't even been a year and those images of I mean really 20 plus years and we just watched it unfold yeah. and all of it and I mean we cannot imagine those that did move across that country the gazillions of dollars that were put into schools beautiful schools across that country that we built and and really tried to move into that that sense of freedom across the country and then to watch it just be overrun in a matter of weeks uh is is so i think that all of that is still very real for anybody that has served um over there and so we need to be mindful maybe maybe it is the plaques but i i definitely think it's it's more and more of every community allowing that space encouraging it for the for the stories for the narratives to be told and for us to to really listen to those uh for the combat veterans of the last 20 plus years um it's a must in our communities and and they're everywhere I man with that sheer number of two plus decades of serving uh it might have just been the the roll into Iraq and the thunder run for one that did a stent and came out but they're still they're among us and and so um where where is that healing and we know it's it's in and through uh, the gospel what that is but being intentional to to kind of provide that space because we watched that with the vietnam the most effective thing that they saw as as you were saying mitch our grandparents never spoke about it and some of the most healing they did for for ptsd and really the moral injury as they would take small groups back to vietnam for the first time after you know their entire lives and they just they put them into these outreach programs where they were able to serve the community in those streets where their souls were tweaked and it's it it wow. was life-giving more than anything else, more than any drug they'd been giving them anything else and they came back and they've been writing about how healed they felt through that so wow yeah that's an interesting sort of segue back into francis because francis did medical ministries mm -hmm. i mean he and serving people and i, I wonder after being in a position of, of of taking life and and being forced to take where your life, job is to hurt, where your job, job is to hurt, to, yeah. um, yeah. the switching to where your job is to heal, mm -hmm. and so, how how beneficial that must be, how important that must be. I would say, and then to start his yeah. own monastery, and monasteries in that mm. time were places where those hurt people could come for refuge and be a part of a community. And so to turn around and create that space for others too. Mm-hmm. Spot on. We, we have to. I don't know that there's another. I think it's the most effective, and we're watching that too in a lot of the behavioral health, as well as the chaplain corps and others that are caring for the soul in, in ways um, and, and providing them space to be able to serve and begin to to look at healing the others. And that's, you know, we know that to be uh, really a mandate uh, and part of uh, who we are as followers of Christ. So, right. We follow a Christ who, after the trauma of the crucifixion, came back and still had holes mm, in his hands yeah. and still had the hole in his side mm -hmm. um, and yet is resurrected mm. and yet is ascended with then, the holes in his hands. Then. Hmm. Like they may never go away, but there, there is another side to the story. It continues on.
There is. And uh, that just made me think. Uh, the holes will never go away, but they're talked about. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? Like, mm. Thomas, Thomas sticks his finger Thomas, in. Thomas, go ahead and put your hand right That's here. That's right. Yep. Feel this. Feel my pain and yep. through it be healed. Your question is beautiful and it must be asked, Thomas. It wasn't that, oh, how do you, and you know, you could probably see the, the other side. Which You'll really never understand. To... You'll, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It has to be asked. Yeah. I like that. Mm. And to be so fearless in being willing to approach the wounds as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is something that we even just see with basic grief when somebody, um, you know, has a, a basic kind of injury and is in a hospital that everybody is afraid to be around suffering because mm. um, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to fix it. And so we just totally shut ourselves off from it. Um, but that actually part of being on a trauma healing journey with somebody that you love is not being afraid to not being afraid of their darkness mm-hmm. because if you're afraid they hear that as shame well there's a lot to Fra- francis i mean he's he's a he cool a dude I, love him. I encourage you to to re- listen and, and to this podcast when it's a little late now to say that I encourage you to <laughs> I encourage you to to read about Francis to look him up. I encourage you to take him a step further than what the typical garden statue is. And we promised that this would be a short episode and I'm watching my my clock. Um Jeremy, what can a place let's finish with something positive. One what can a place like St. Martin's learn from somebody like St. Francis? And as we continue our relationship, because I think St. Martin's does have a very strong relationship with Fort Jackson and the Chaplain's Corps, um, what can we do to serve the warriors among us who um, um, are here? And whether they're retired or active, what can we do to be a safe space? That's good. Yeah, great question. I think initially for each of us, Hey, finding, modeling St. Francis, just go out and find that beautiful nature in the wilderness of, of quiet. We have to, we've just got to get away from the chaos of being so connected um, to, the, to, our, to our phones and to the social peace and all of that. We, we have to reclaim some, some of the, the quiet wilderness space. So I dare you in the South, we say, I double dog dare you, uh, each of you to, to find those windows where you can go out and just be quiet and just let that healing and nature, I believe is one of the purest places we can still do that. So find that even if it's in your neighbor's backyard that has not uh, been built on yet or wherever that might be, do that. And then for the, again, for all of our service members, just sitting at their feet I think is is really allow them uh, the opportunity to tell a bit of their story and you just hear it and you will take away an opportunity to lift that up and then we will connect as a community those stories together uh and and i think that's a, a great starting place for us to to really just pause and hear from those that have had to go and do what none of us want to ever do um, in, uh, in the midst of war. So, yeah, that would be my, those would be two, two quick ones on that. For our time, 
together. Honored to be invited, by the way, with two of my favorite priests, <laughs> I might say. So uh, the best of the best. You can't say that. This podcast studio is too small for mm-hmm. my ego if you're going to pump it up like that. <laughs> well, no, honored to be here. Thanks for thanks for the invite. We're, we're very glad to have you here at St. Martin's. We are. We are. Well, Caitlin, this was your brainchild. Take us out. All right. The Lord be with you. And also also with you. you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, through the holes in your hands, you understand the wounds that many of us bear. Be with us here, incarnate in our pain, and give us the healing and the hope of your resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for the witness of Francis, for all he has to teach us and his call out into the wilderness and his call into the animal companions who also offer us a sign of your love and healing. Bless all those who listen to this podcast and equip us to go into your world and be signs of the healing power of your love. In your holy name, amen. 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 This is a podcast of St. Martin's in the Fields in Columbia, South Carolina. Pay us a visit here on campus, come worship with us on Sundays, or visit us online at smifsc.com. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your podcast channels, and leave a comment. Let us know if you like this episode, if you like this format. We want to hear from you. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.